Okay, good morning, good morning. Wow, what a way to start the day. I feel alive and ready to go now. <laughs> I'm ready to move. All right, we're going to do things a little bit different this morning. We're actually going to have the message first, and then we're going to have worship. And then after that, we're going to have our meal together, which I'm really excited about that meal. I'm Dan. If you're new here today, I'm lead pastor here at Life Community. I'm going to jump right in and tell you a little bit of a story here. And if you were part of our, our leadership training in February, you heard a version of this. So, But I think it's important for today, which is why I want to share it again. In 2016, LCC had its first official mission trip to, to Honduras to partner with the Sowers family. That's the, the, the family that we, that we partner with there. And here's a picture of the team there with a group of Honduran pastors. Now, we had actually hoped to have a lot more people go on that trip, but we discovered right away there was a stumbling block in the way, and it was this. Part of the trip's purpose was to train Honduran pastors. Train pastors? I can't train pastors. That mindset was so powerful, so difficult to overcome, that it was a stumbling block. And so that first team was very small. Now, when the team came back, they told a story of their experience that kind of put things in perspective. As they were getting ready for this training time with Honduran pastors, they, they began to come, the Honduran pastors. And many had, had traveled over the mountains for days to get to this training, right? They had left their families behind. They'd set aside their work, their very important work that sustained them to receive some of the most basic skills to take back to their villages. You see, they were hungry. They were hungry for this training. And some of these pastors had only recently become followers of Jesus. They, they learned the basics of the gospel, that God had sent his son down to die on a cross for their sin, and he had risen from the dead, and that's about all they knew. But they jumped at this chance to come and to learn and to grow and to take this information back where they could lead, where they could shepherd others in the villages, in, in the mountains of Honduras. And it was just like a stark contrast because you had us Americans who had received training our whole lives, right? We've been to church every Sunday. We had taken in the word of God, but we doubted we had what it took to train others. So only a few of us made ourselves available. Most people closed their hands to it. In contrast, you had these Honduran pastors. Yeah, move that. Uh, we had these Honduran pastors who were ready and willing to do whatever it took to learn more about the gospel. Now, now by our American standards, right, we would say, step back and say, well, these Honduran pastors, they weren't fully trained. They weren't equipped to be leaders. They weren't equipped to be pastors. They had no formal degrees. How could they lead if they didn't have that? But they did, and they'd come back for future training. Much of the training would be on the job as they returned with, with Bibles now in their language, and they were just blessed and thankful to be a part of this training. And they were lead, true leaders because they were open and available. They had hands that were open. And I, I tell you that story because I think it has some very valuable things to teach us about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, right? Because disciples, disciples are available. They actively participate in a dynamic of releasing people to serve and to lead, okay? They actively participate in a dynamic of releasing people to serve and lead. They adopt that posture, whether they're the ones releasing 
or whether they're the ones being released to serve. So why is it that many of us are hesitant to step into that kind of dynamic? We're going to get to that. But turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. It's in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And as we do, I'm going to summarize the context a little bit. So Jesus has come. He died for our sins. He he rose from the dead. The church is, is starting. It's forming. It's going out. Missionary journeys are happening. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, he's urging Jesus' followers to live in the way that Jesus has called them to live. This is the way, right? You're supposed to say it after me, right? This is the way. Some of you get that. Some of you don't. Paul says, be unified. Be unified with other Jesus followers in what you believe and what you practice. And together, as one, build a body together. See yourself as a builder. And then Paul says, this is how God wants us to do it. He says, listen, Jesus, our Savior, has delivered something to us. He's made a delivery. And in that delivery that he's delivered to us is our gifts for the church. They are gifts. And, and this is the way we are unified together is actively using these gifts. Now, when, usually when someone has a military victory, right, they actually extort gifts from who they defeated. Jesus, in his victory over sin and death, actually gave gifts out to the church. Everyone who knows Jesus has a gift or more than one gift. Here's the thing, though. Your gift is not just for you, and it's not a toy. It is a tool to actually build something together with other believers to build the church. And so, in Ephesians 4, as Paul sets that up, talking about Jesus giving gifts to the church, he's going to start to explain some of these gifts. So read along with me. Verse 11, Ephesians chapter 4. And he... Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So these gifts that Jesus gave, in his victory over sin and death, they build up this body. They build up the body together in oneness, in knowing Jesus more, and in becoming fully mature in him. Now, I like the way the message actually translates, especially the second part of this. These gifts that are listed there, right, they are there to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive in Christ. Wow. That's meant for us individually, but it's meant here collectively for us together to build something together. Now, you may not know this, but the Bible has a whole list of gifts, right? A whole list of gifts that are given. But these ones in Ephesians are unique because they involve equipping others, meaning these gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, are equipping gifts. So they oversee, they help develop 
the gifts of others. So in the body, there are those who equip, and there are those who are equipped, right? We'll be at, at times one, at times the other. Sometimes, often, we'll be both of these things, right, as we grow into our gifts. Now, immediately, we got some things to unlearn here because in our model of church today, right, in our model of church, there is, there's a separation that happens. And we, we see equippers as church staff, right, paid church staff. And we see equipees, we'll call them equipees, we see them as the rest, right? In the Ephesians church, there was little distinction between those, right? It wasn't this, just this group of people over here who did this. And, and we have to realize that today there are a lot of equippers in our body here just beside the church staff. Yes, church staff are involved in equipping, but there are a lot of equippers here, many in our church. The other thing we have to unlearn is this definition of equipping that we have, what it means to equip someone. Because that word in the Greek for equipping, right, it, it is actually defined as, as a preparing. It's a actual, actually a bringing to, to a condition of fitness. It's bringing to a condition of fitness. So what is equipping? Oh, it's a process. It's a process. It's a bringing to a condition of fitness. It's it's actually, it's, it's on the job. It's as-you-go training that happens. Let's talk about what equipping is not. Equipping is not you get all the knowledge you can about the area that, you want, that your gift is in, and then once you've perfected it in your mind, then you're ready to go out. Once you've mastered the gifts. That's not equipping. Equipping is as-you-go. And it's very important to know this because the process is part of the preparation. You can't master the gift without the process, without actually jumping in and using the gift. So we've got to unlearn that because what happens in our workplaces often, many workplaces, is you get equipped, right? And then you get a certificate and you're deemed qualified, right? You're deemed qualified to now go use that degree, whatever it is, right? The biblical model is apprenticeship. It's as you go, you learn from others, you're equipped, you're made fit as through that process, and you know what qualifies you? Do you breathe? Do you know Jesus? Are you responding? That's it, and you're qualified, and then you learn as you go. So, if you are an equipper, if you're Part of what you do is you, you're preparing others as an equipper. You're walking with them. You're bringing them to this condition of, of fitness. You're helping their gift move with the body in conjunction with the body. And your role is actually to release, right, is to release people to serve and to lead in their gifting. So your posture is, who's next? Like, who's, what gift is next that we can use to build this body up? Jesus did this with his followers. He sent them out, right? Sent them out two by two. Go, go out, take the gospel with you. Some will respond, some will not. They probably experienced a lot of failure on the way in that process, right? I think about around here. You know, Tom Burns starts this teaching team here, right, six years ago. And for the last six years, we've had teachers in our gifts because Tom realizes he's not the only one who has the gift of teaching, right? 
that there's a lot of gifts in the body. And so he begins to develop and allow space for people to grow into their gift. And here's the thing. If you're an equipper, if you don't release others to, to do what God has, has built them to do, if your hand is closed, you're stunting the growth of this body. If you require people to be perfect before they can use their gifts, you're stunting the body. And Tom could have done that. Tom could have said, hey, listen, I'm the speaker here, man. I'm going to be the one, nobody else. But Tom has an open hand, and he sees that there's gifts in the body. And this is important because we hear it. It's not too long before we hear another story of, of toxic leadership where a leader has, in, has insulated themselves or their staff has insulated themselves. Nobody can touch them. Nobody can get to them, right? And that's not biblical. Uh, if you're not releasing people to do ministry, if you're not sharing ministry, because leaders equip, they elevate others, they invite them into ministry. So if you're a small group leader, if you're a ministry leader around here, the, the, the thing you do is you invite others to use their gifts. You have an open hand. Now, if you are the one being equipped, the equippy, is that a word? I don't know if that's a word or not. The equippy, your role as a disciple is to be available and to be useful, to allow yourself to be equipped. Some of us have a hard time with that, letting someone else kind of help us grow into our role. You're committing, though, to the development of your gift. It's that important. So you got to hold your hands open, too, whether you're an equipper or an equippy. you got to respond to those who are equipping. you got to respond to the needs in this body. And you got to respond to God's spirit. If you don't, you're stunting the growth of this body becoming one. You're stunting your, your own maturity in Christ and others as well. So, so responding means, it means releasing the grip, right? It's the grip of our time, the grip of our gifts, our talents, the grip we have on our treasures, our resources, it's releasing that grip, being available. Paul talks about how the body's supposed to function in 1 Corinthians when he says this, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Whether you are an equipper, whether you are an equippee, there is a releasing of control that needs to happen, that has to happen, because disciples are available. They're available in this dynamic of building the body, the church. They're both ready to release others, and they're ready to respond. And our attitudes are so important here because as an equipper, the temptation is, wow, that's, that's going to take a lot of work. Isn't it just easier if I do it myself? You know, I can just lean into my gift more, and I'll do more myself. That's it's easy to have that attitude, right? I, I can get more done that way. But that's not the way. God's way is different. And for an equipee, it's easy for us to say, yeah, I'm available. 
God, I'm available on the second Saturday of every month when there's a full moon. If the body ever needs me, I will be there. I'm available. So there's an attitude we have to have and an availability. And Peter talks about this when he says this, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received. Remember the ones Jesus handed out? Use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So the attitude is important. And, and man, in Acts 4, you see this beautiful attitude, attitude of, a, of a body that's looking to be one, looking to grow in Christ together. Read this with me. Now, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need. They, they laid it at the apostles' feet. They surrendered the grip of control, and they made themselves available with open hands. Right? Can I tell you this is happening here? This is happening around here. I think about Todd in our body, right? Todd, who has a home, he's got space available in his home. And he hears that Andres, Marima, and Angela need a place to stay. They're here from Cuba, right? They're adjusting to life. And he says, yeah, I've got, come live with me. And so they've been living at Todd's place for a long time. And yesterday, which is amazing, they got their own place, right? It's an amazing story, and, and, and it was just because Todd, uh, Todd is going to be really mad at me that I brought this up, okay? But you got to know this. Todd is just like, yeah, I'm available because Todd has this, this gift. This, he wants to serve. He's got hospitality gifts, obviously. Here it is. I think about Chris in our body who has gone through unimaginable grief, and she has now turned that to say, I want to help others who, who deal with grief. And so she's leading classes again and again, trying to help people through grief. I think about Jenny, who's, you know, she's uh, been gifted in, in her job with nutrition. And so she uses it at the food pantry. And now she's available. She's, she's like willing. I will help LCC even connect more with the food pantry. I think about Bailey, who uh, is one of our teens who's serving in, um, she's serving in preschool with our kids. And we need somebody in elementary. And she's been doing that a while. Bailey, would you be willing to? And she said, yeah, I'm available. Right? Think of Jim and Brenda Fleto, who's served for years. Sorry. I think of these faithful people. They've served the body. Open hands. You know, Jim does, has done our finance stuff for years. Just open hands. Thank you, Jim. It's bringing life. That kind of stuff brings life to a body. It helps it grow. I think I wanted Glenda today who said, yeah, we'll cook, we'll cook all the meat for today. We're available. So being a disciple means 
being available, being willing to step into the gifts that God has given you. And that will not only mean releasing control of your time, your talents, your treasures, but it's going to mean something else. It's going to mean releasing the control on the grip of failure and the fear of failure. Because I think this drives a lot of how willing we are to get involved. Because the very definition of equipping, right, this, this process of moving from being unfit to a growing fitness, it means that you start unfit. You, you don't have the tools, right? You're incomplete. You're weak. That guarantees there's going to be some failure along the way. There's going to be some obstacles along the way. And God says, this is the way. Are you going to repeat it? He says, this is the way. He says, I chose you, I develop you, I do my work through you, and as I do, it's pretty clear, I'm doing the work because I'm working through your weakness. So what do we have to get over in ourselves is pride, right? I want to look a certain way. I want to make it so that everything is easy, everything, I come out looking good. So growing in this dynamic, it looks like this. When you respond... When you begin to use your gift, you begin the process of becoming fit, right? If you don't begin the process, guess what? You'll remain unformed in that area as a disciple. Maturity comes in the process through repeat, repeated failures, right? Repeated failures, repeated failures. And you know what? When you finally get it down, God's got something next for you to do where you're stepping into something different and the cycle is going to start again. And he builds his church into oneness through this way. Now, let me take a side journey here because there is a great example we see in the Bible of somebody who's been through this process. And this one is, uh, it really speaks to this. Um, in Acts 13, right, the church, they're starting to go out to do missionary journeys, right? And here in Acts 13, I'll let you read this verse. You see Paul and Barnabas set out on their first missionary journey to take the gospel to the world. And Acts 13.5 says this, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. This John is also referred to as John Mark. Sometimes he's called John who's called Mark. I don't know what they did with names back then, but we had people called five different things. I don't know. But John Mark is the younger cousin of Barnabas, and he is the equipee, right? He's going out, he's being equipped by Paul and Barnabas. And we go, we read on. They do some, some missionary journey stuff. They go, they share the gospel. And Acts 13, 13 says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, remember John Mark, John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. Which, which seems like a minor detail, right, until you fast forward a bit and you realize this was actually pretty significant that he left them. And, and Paul and Barnabas come back, and then they get ready to go out again, and this is what happens. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. They want to check up on them. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, right, John Mark. 
But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. That's how strong the disagreement was. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Okay. There's been a lot of speculation about John Mark. What happened? Some think he was homesick. Some think, well, it could have been because there was hardship, and they did face some hardship early on. But Paul's accusation is what? John Mark deserted them. So Paul's hand begins to close. And Barnabas has a different posture. He takes John Mark under his wing. He's called the encourager, right? Barnabas is. What would become of John Mark? It's a pivotal moment in his life, right? What would become of him? He could have called it quits when Paul said no, right? But he allowed his failure to become a part of his formation, a part of his becoming fit. What if I told you that Mark, John Mark, went on to write the Gospel of Mark? What if I told you the tradition has it that John Mark ended up journeying across the Mediterranean and founding the church in Egypt? John Mark went on to do incredible work. So this separation that happened, right, we think, oh, no. But even in that, what did God do? The gospel went even farther out when one party became two parties. This is the way. Right? In weakness, God shows his power to advance the gospel. And this happened because, what, Barnabas had an open hand, right? And John Mark, also, as an equipee, he had an open hand. He released the control of failure and what had happened in the past. He had an open hand. They had both committed to this dynamic of releasing people to lead and to serve. Now, this isn't the end of the story for Paul, right? Because Paul is being formed in his gift, too, as an equipper, right? And you see not long after that he actually equips another young man, Timothy, and begins investing in him. That's in Acts 16. You see it. So this is the way. This is the way. Disciples of Jesus are, are they're personally invested in this process of releasing people to serve and lead. So many of you are doing that here. Disciples have open hands. They are available. They're looking for ways to build up this body, to make it stronger, to make it one. They're releasing their gifts, their time, their treasures to make that happen. They see themselves connected as something bigger here that God is doing. It's his church. And they take risks. They take risks. And they realize that failure is just going gonna to be a part of the process. It's almost like one of the tools in their tool belt is failure, right? I got to use that. Don't want to use it, but it's part of my formation. 
And we see this in, in even Paul's words to Timothy, because he says, Paul says to a young Timothy, for this reason I remind you, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, right? We laid hands on you over your gift, right? For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Disciples, that's what a disciple has. They bounce back when things get hard, when things go south. They move from being irresponsible with their gift to becoming more responsible, having self-control. They're teachable. They're willing to grow, right? They take the burden off that they have to be perfect. They take what others care, what others think about them, and they leave it aside for the sake of the gospel. And I want to tell you, if you started something around here, if you began a ministry or you're just starting, guess what? You're going to fail. I expect you'll fail as you go, right? You have permission to drop the ball. You have the permission to grow over time and become more fully developed in your gift. We want you. We should want that for each other. We should want a culture around here of growing in our gifts, being willing to take steps, bold steps of faith, and being willing to fail, and then encourage and picking each other up too. So I'm going to ask you today, what are you doing what are you doing with what God gave you? When he delivered those gifts, you have one if you know Christ. What are you doing with that gift? Are you building up this body? Or are you stunting it? It's growth. It's growth into oneness. Do you have open hands? You know, even as we see God doing things in our body and, and, and to become a church of, of many cultures, right? You have gifts. You have gifts for that of hospitality, gifts of encouragement, gifts to serve others, right? Today we had a whole group in here serving us by setting up the lobby, right? That was the way they served. And they're going to serve today as we're, as we're eating together. It's an amazing thing. So a, a great question for us to ask ourselves is, how, how have we failed recently? How have we failed? Because if we haven't failed, if we can't think of how we failed, then are we taking steps of faith? Are we stepping out? Are we taking risks to build the body of Christ? All right. In a moment, we're going to sing a song, and then Monica's going to come up. She's our connections director, and she's going to share just some simple ways for us to begin to explore our gift and some opportunities around here as well. But before she does, and before we sing, and then she comes up. I want to tell you the rest of the story about John, Mark, and Paul because this is really a redemptive story. Because in 60 AD, Paul wrote in Colossians 4 uh, a message to the church saying, listen, I've got some friends who want to greet you. And he lists Mark in there too, Mar John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You see, sometime in the decade before, Paul had reconciled with John Mark. And at the end of Paul's life, he's in, he's in prison in Rome. He's awaiting his beheading. And over 10 years after this sharp disagreement happened, right, Paul writes this to Timothy. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, John Mark, for he is very useful to me in my ministry. He's useful to me. I hope Barnabas got to see that. He's useful. He's helpful. 
Now, tradition says that Barnabas, who came from Cyprus, was burned to death for Christ on that island. Tradition says that Paul was beheaded under persecutions. And many years after that, a young John Mark left Paul and Barnabas. He was dragged to death, tradition has it, by horses on the streets of Alexandria, Egypt, because of his witness for Christ. Available. Let's pray. Jesus, you, you were available. You were available to go through what you went through for us, to bring life to our hearts and souls through the cross, to bring redemption. And God, we humbly say we, we want to be available as you were available for the thing that matters to you, the building up of your church, your body, into oneness, into the knowledge of you so that we can be mature and we can change the world together. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.